0: Our theme this morning is going to be around that theme, Be Still and Know That I Am God. Even in a world that we live in, there is a lot of uncertainty and a lot of things that many think they know, but we're not sure. And the one thing that we can always be sure of is our relationship with God. Dobby Robbins is here this morning. We're honored to have him. A number of months ago, he called and said, I'd love to come back from but- to Butler. I'm going to be in the area. Can I speak and share? And we are delighted to have him. One of the best communicators I've ever heard and been around this afternoon Once you hear him, you're going to know why you're going to want to come back this afternoon. If you're raising teens or in the process or helping raise your grandchildren who are in that stage and you're not sure which one of you are going to survive, you're going to want to be back here this afternoon, 1245 to 3. Two different seminars on understanding today's teen and the culture they live in, both this afternoon. So as soon as the service is over, we'll let you out on time. Go grab a quick bite. Come on back here at 1245. I guarantee you. You will not be disappointed. Ken Davis is coming here, one of the funniest communicators I've ever heard. Going to be here next Sunday night, October the 1st, 630. Tickets are still available for that. Silver ring thing, an opportunity to help our teens understand the necessity of purity and staying pure till marriage. Going to be right here in our sanctuary as well, 630 the next Sunday night, October the 8th. So we've got some incredible things planned, an opportunity for us to be involved in what God's doing and how we can help. The next generation, as well as how we can understand what God wants to teach us in that process. If you know anything about prophetic utterances, the world was supposed to end last night, on September the 23rd. We were supposed to be in heaven. I hope it looks a little bit different than this. But I guarantee you, you're going to have a little piece of heaven this morning when you hear Duffy. Too hot to do anything else this afternoon? Come on back here. Air-conditioned and you will learn and grow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Duffy Robbins. <laughs> Thank you very much, and uh, amazing
1: music. That was, it. Let, let's, let's give these folks in the choir another round of applause. That was awesome, I tell ya. You get that every single. Every Sunday, I, I, let me just say again to sort of echo uh, Pastor Danny's words. I hope you'll be able to come back this afternoon. I know that um, you know Sunday afternoon uh, is uh, is is football. You know, uh, I'm from Philadelphia. We used to have a professional team, and uh, and, and it, it's not funny, and uh, and and uh, I, I, I get that temptation. I also know that whenever you hear there's going to be a seminar about parenting teenagers and stuff. Uh, that always uh, is a red flag, uh, at least to two people, parents and teenagers. And it's kind of funny because most people, when when they think of teenagers, just given the way our culture works, it's funny because the, the average, uh, you, you know, the average kind of person thinks about adolescence. It's always kind of the furrowed brow, grim. This is not going to be pretty. And uh, and and it's sort of like Mark Twain said, when your child gets to be 13, you should probably just put them in a barrel and, and feed them through a tube for five or six years. And then when they get to be 18, just plug up the tube. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and uh, it, what's interesting is I speak to teenagers probably more than I speak to, uh, to adults and to parents. And, and as you might expect, they have slightly different uh, perspective on the equation. Uh, it, it's funny, what, what I think about uh, teenagers and their, their sort of uh, view on this whole uh, partnership, it reminds me of little boys that were walking out of Sunday school one morning, and I guess they have been talking about, uh, about demons and Satan and stuff. and. And and one of the little guys said to his buddy, do you believe all that stuff they said in there about Satan? And his little friend said, no, no, no. It's like Santa Claus. It's our dad's. And, and, and I don't know uh, if that's exactly how you see it, but I hope you'll be able to come back this afternoon. Um, I, I, think, uh, I think you'll find it encouraging, and I hope you'll find it helpful, and, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to that a lot. Uh, one of my hobbies is optical illusions, optical illusions. Uh, anybody here a fan of optical illusions? Okay, a few of you. Well, Uh, One of the things I love about optical illusions is that uh, that they invite you to look beyond what you see. So, for example, some of you have seen, uh, this would be a standard optical illusion. You've seen this kind of thing before where, uh, how many of you actually see uh, a saxophone player? Anybody see a saxophone player? Anybody see a woman's face? All right. Uh, anybody see the horse jumping across the thing? Okay, that means too much cough syrup. Okay, uh, how about this one? Uh, this is kind of fun. This one. Uh, the question is, who is hugging whom in this picture? Um, it, it, uh, it's a little bit. It's a little bit weird to look at. It, it looks like perhaps there's a third person. Uh, being decapitated. But but uh, anyway, that that's kind of a fun one. This one um, I like because uh, you've seen, this is sort of a typical optical illusion where you shift it, you look at it this way and you see the, a horse head, uh, but then when you actually twist it clockwise, you see the horse facing up. And, uh, and, and that's kind of fun. So you see that one. That, that's kind of cool. All right, I'm going to do This is it. I like this next one. It's a little bit, a little bit spooky, a little bit haunting. Uh, but let me just ask you, uh, this is interesting. How many of you actually see in this optical illusion uh, a woman sitting in front of a dresser bureau looking at herself in the mirror? How many see that? Okay. All right. Now let me ask you this. How many of you actually see a skull, a skull? Okay, and see, a lot of that has to do with your experiences with romance. So, yeah, that that kind of interesting. Uh, that uh, that one. Uh, this one is called a kinetic optical illusion because uh, if you look at it long enough, uh, supposedly you you it looks as if the wheels are moving. Um, I, if if you actually drink uh, eight cans of Red Bull. Uh, this becomes a Harley and starts moving around the room. It's unbelievable. Uh, this one is kind of cool. It, it, this one, to actually see it, you're going to need to tilt your head that direction. Tilt your head that direction. This is called the stones cry out. The stones cry out. Do you see that? That's kind of fun. A, kind of a younger person kneeling and praying in front of an older person. Um, this next one is, is similar. You, you have to tilt your head this way, it's called the stones uh, cry out. And uh, <clears throat> actually, uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to show you one more. And this is the last one. But this one, I like it because you have to really look at this one. Uh, because if you don't look carefully, you almost, you will literally almost miss it. But, uh, <laughs> but this one is, is crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know if you, t- would you like to see that one more time? Good. We're going to look at this and then close in prayer. But uh, no, actually, uh, let, let, what, you know what's funny is the more, the more my wife and I look at this, the more we agree, I do kind of look like Brad Pitt. But uh, you give me a pair of sunglasses, I'm, I'm there. But uh, I, I like optical illusions for this reason. Um, optical illusions teach us an important lesson about life. Optical illusions remind us of an important truth, and the truth is this, that sometimes the most important part of the picture is the part you don't see. Like we look at an optical illusion, we go, okay, I got it, that's a picture of a horse. Then I'll say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, that, okay, there's a frog in there. And, 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 and whatever it might be, when you look at an optical illusion, you're reminded of this very, very simple truth that sometimes the most important part of the picture is the part that we don't see. That is a truth at the heart of of a psalm I want us to look at for a few minutes this morning. It's Psalm chapter 46. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm chapter 46. The psalmist reminds us this morning how easy it is to miss the bigger picture, to be so focused and so fixed on what we see that we miss the wonder and the majesty of what we we do not see. Psalm chapter 46, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. One of the reasons I I love the word of God is because it is so real. It plunges us into the reality of everyday life. Um, The life of faith is not some sort of uh, never-never land. It's not some sort of fairy tale. Uh, If you are uh, sort of here this morning and you're just kind of checking stuff out or maybe you're new to the Christian life, this is really, really important to understand. As a life of faith, it is not a life that is sort of uh, somehow above the fray, that that somehow we are uh, exempt from the hassles and the troubles and the stresses of everyday life. That Scripture doesn't promise us sort of an escape from reality. It promises a God who meets us in the midst of our reality. And you see that specifically and explicitly in Psalm chapter 46, because right away, as soon as you begin reading this passage, right away, we are plunged into a world of violence and and danger. In fact, in just 11 verses here, we're given three separate sets of images, and all of them, all of them were violent. Uh, Verses 1 to 3, the violence of nature. Uh, earthquakes, volcanoes, floods. Uh, Verse 6, the violence of geopolitical turmoil. Uh, Violence uh, of war in verse 9. Three images, all of them violent. And in some ways, what's striking about this psalm is not how it escapes us from reality, but how it plunges us into the midst of reality. I mean, this this is this is our headlines. This is this morning's newspaper. This is what we saw today uh, on, on Sunday morning on CBS. This is what we heard about today on Good Morning America. This is what we read in the newspaper. We read about earthquakes in Mexico and 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 storms and destruction and 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 threats from Asia and violence in England and and uh, and around the world. We see these images of violence in very very vivid way which makes all the more stunning and startling the words that we read in verse 10 of Psalm chapter 46. Because in verse 10, in the midst of these vivid pictures of violence, the psalmist defiantly all of a sudden just says, be still, be still, and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. God. How in the world, how in the world can we take God seriously? How can we take faith seriously? How can we take the world seriously? How do we take seriously these verses in the world, the culture, the situation in which we live? Be still and know that I am God. Well, let's let's look at these words for a few minutes. First of all, those initial two words be still. Be still. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes one of the most important activities of faith is intentional inactivity. Sometimes one of the most important activities of faith is intentional inactivity, stillness, intentional stillness. Uh, One of my daughter's little girls, one of their favorite things to do was to go to the playground near our house. And they loved to go to that playground uh, and their favorite part of the playground was the merry-go-round. And my job at the Merry-go-round was to be for them a human piston. Uh, some of you moms, dads, grandparents, you know what I'm talking about. You just stand there, and your job is just to pump this thing as fast as you possibly just, and just, just get this thing going as quick and as fast as you can. And it was a riot because this thing would be zipping around and I just see this blur of, of curly hair and squeals and giggles. And, and I never rode with them because they said, daddy, it's not as much fun when you're vomiting. But, 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 but uh, I, I remember we were out there on the playground one day and, um, and, and, and I had them up to about 5,000 RPMs. <laughs> That's hyperbole. And, and uh, anyway, uh, apparently Katie, my younger daughter, who was about four years old at the time, just felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude that, that daddy would be for her a, a human piston. And so she decided that she was going to hug me on the next lap. Yeah, don't get ahead of me. Uh, But uh, not being familiar with uh, the laws of physics, in particular the principle of inertia, uh, Katie just thought in her little mind, oh, I'll just reach out and grab him on the fly. Well, uh, I actually never saw it coming. I mean, at the last minute, I thought I caught a glimpse of kind of a, a white uh, horizontal, bony little horizontal object approaching at a rapid rate. Uh, but the last thing I remember was just being clotheslined by my four-year-old. I, I, it's funny, I remember laying there on the ground, my lip was cut in two places, and my children were howling with laughter. This was funny. By the way, if you think about it, be, be praying for Katie, because ever since that happened, Santa hasn't visited her, but uh, but uh, I, I, um, I we learned a lesson that day. It's a very important lesson, and it's a lesson right at the heart of Psalm forty-six, verse ten. And the lesson is this: It's hard to hug a moving target. It's hard. To hug a moving target, you see. I think one of the reasons that a lot of us, in the midst of the busyness, in the dizziness of everyday life and world affairs, and just trying to be a family and trying to hold down a job and trying to make sure everybody gets where they need to go, and how do we hold down our our, the, 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 our marriage and our kids? We got the financial stuff going on and, and schoolwork, and I got my relationships and things going on. The team. what happens is in the busyness, in the dizziness of all that. marriage, around, called life, we lose we lose that intimacy with the Father. We lose that intimacy with God that helps us to see the big picture that we're called to see. The Psalmist says, "Be still, be still, and know that I." God. I think a lot of us perhaps, uh, you know, we sort of fall into that trap of thinking, well, you know, I'm going to, I've got to fix this. I mean, I've got to get my ducks in a row. I've got to kind of nail everything down because, because but, but look at what's going on over here and, 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 and I'm not sure God really is in control. I mean, it doesn't look much like it. I mean, look at the violence here and the turmoil here and, and, the, and literally the earthquakes and the shaking and the quaking and the, and, the, and, and we think we need to step up and make this thing work. God says you be still. Be still. There's more to the picture. There's more to the picture than first you see. Now of course uh, that doesn't make any sense. That seems awfully naive unless, unless the next two words of verse 10 come into play. The psalmist says in verse 46, uh, chapter 46 verse 10, be still and know. And no. be still and no. Uh, you might say, "Well well, what do we? know what? What do we know? Well, first of all, let's be honest, there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't know right? I mean, there, there are a lot of question marks out there this morning. There are question marks. As I watch the morning news, there are question marks. What's going to happen in North Korea? I don't know. Well, what's going to happen with with, uh, with terrorism worldwide? I mean, this morning there was an acid attack in, in London and police are saying that there are going to be more of those. Uh, we, we don't know what's going to happen there. We don't know when the next big storm is going to sweep up out of, the, out of the Atlantic. We don't know uh, when the next earthquake. I mean, when you're living in Mexico this morning, your world is just filled with I don't know just in splintered lumber around you. If you live in Puerto Rico or in the Caribbean, you, you probably see I don't knows everywhere you look. There's a ton of stuff we don't know. And even sitting here this morning, some of us have question marks when it comes to uh, jobs. Or, or maybe for some of us it's it's physical health. Or maybe for some of us this morning it's it's family situations. And I'm not sure if our marriage is going to make it. I'm not sure about this person in my family that I love dearly. And, and we are are surrounded by things we don't know there's a ton of stuff we don't know but here's what we do know here's what we do know I I I I I like to remind I like to remind myself that sometimes the most important part of the picture is the part you don't see the part you don't see. You, you, you see, when, uh, when, when uh, like, a good example, when Hollywood filmmakers make a movie, one of their favorite devices, and you've seen this, is that they will tell us a story. And we think we know the story they're telling us. But then, and you've seen this, in the last few minutes of the movie, all of a sudden there's a twist there's like a five-minute segment there near the end where you realize, wait a minute, the story I thought I knew is only a part of a bigger story that I did not know. That sometimes the most important part of the picture is the part you don't see. Uh, I, there, there are tons of examples. Probably one of the easiest to think of right off the top of my head, Star Wars you remember in Star wars when when uh Luke Skywalker remember that scene where Luke is hanging there over the abyss by his fingernails and 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 Darth Vader you know is 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 hovering above him and uh, and this is and menacingly looking down at him and and uh and it's certain that any moment uh, he's just going to send young Luke Skywalker to his doom and 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 Luke looks up and sort of defiantly says, you know, Darth Vader, my father is going to get you. And then Luke Skywalker hears Darth Vader say this, Luke, I am your father. And you're going, holy cow. You know, I mean, that dart is Luke's father. I, I mean, you, you just can't believe it. And it's like you thought you knew the story. This is what we know. But then you go, wait a minute, there's another whole part of the story we did not know. Uh, and, and, or let me, for some of you, uh, let's, let's, another generation, how about it's a wonderful life? Um, it's a wonderful life. Remember that when when Jimmy Stewart's character and the, and the angel were wiping the snow away from the grave, and and uh, and and the angel says, "Your brother died." And, and, and Jimmy Stewart says, "No, he didn't die. I saved him." No, no, George, you weren't there to save him. But you know, because he died because you weren't there to save him. And don't you see, George? You really had a wonderful life, and and it sort of dawns on him that wow. There's this whole story that I thought I knew, but there's a big, huge story I don't know. And that kind of changes everything. And you see this over and over. In fact, um, okay, here's another one. Six cents, six cents. Has anybody here seen six cents? Okay, all right, yeah. Traded R. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's all right. Let's just, let's just pray for these people. Uh, <laughs> I had, a, I had a friend tell me about it. But anyway, uh, it, it, Sixth Sense, you may remember that in that one, uh, this this wedding ring falls off of Bruce Willis's hand. Remember that? And it kind of rolls around the floor. And then all of a sudden, that little kid goes, I see people, people who don't know their dad. And you realize that means Bruce Willis is Dead. And you just can't believe it because there's this story we think we know, but then we discover there's another whole story, a much bigger story that we, we don't know. In fact, uh, last one, I promise, here's the classic, Wizard of Oz, right? was of Oz, because remember that one when uh, the, the the whole thing with the tornado and then uh, and then a munchkin land, you know, and then and then uh, finally they come back and they're on Earth and they were in, we're in Dorothy's bedroom. Remember that and Auntie M and, and you know you were there and you were there and you were there and then remember the um, the medicine show guy sticks his head through the window and says, Dorothy, I am your father. That's <laughs> not true, sure. but uh, no, he had to admit. That would have been an interesting twist, but, but, but it, it's like just when you thought you knew the story, you step back and you go, wait a minute, there's another whole story you don't know. That's what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, look, I get it. I understand the stories that you're hearing. I hear those stories. I get those stories. But don't forget, sometimes the most important part of the picture is the part you don't see. Look at verse 4. The psalmist says there's a different story. There's a bigger story, and we need to hear that story. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And I've highlighted those words because they remind us that this is God's reign on earth. You might think, well, the city of God, well, I'd be fine if I was in heaven. The city of God, that was Jerusalem. This was a place of turmoil this is a place constantly being besieged, but the river of God makes glad the city of God the river of, of, that makes glad the city of god that that in fact augustine when he when he wrote about god's reign on earth he literally used the image of the city of God this is not God as a tourist this is not God sort of passing through life this is not drive by God this is God who Dwells with us. He he, he dwells with us. This is where the Most High dwells. God lives in our midst. Remember Emmanuel, God with us. That's a completely different picture. And he goes on to say, Don't forget, God is within her. She will not fall. And you know what's interesting? The very same verb that's used here in the Hebrew for fall, is precisely the same verb in Hebrew that's used in verse 2. we read about mountains quaking and shaking and rivers surging. That in the midst of this uh, picture of disaster, in the midst of this story of warfare and violence, the psalmist says there is a bigger story. Like there's a ton of stuff we don't know. But here's what we know. God is in control. And his reign is secure, and his reign is supreme, and his city will not fall. That's what we know. He goes on to say, he goes on to say, this is absolutely critical, that this reign of God is secure. This reign of God is secure. Secure. But the reason we know the reign of God is secure is because on every page of the story, at the beginning of the story, at the end of the story, permeating the entire story is one central figure, and that's God himself. Look at the last four words of verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Uh, I, I, think, um, I think one of the most basic truths about faith is this, that, that, that thinking right about God can help us think right about everything else. Thinking right about God can help us think right about everything else. When I was a, an undergraduate student at the University of North Carolina, I uh, was a psych major. And I remember one of the principles we learned in psychology is that your perceptions are shaped by your preconceptions right your perceptions are shaped by your preconceptions so so what you think you're going to see is what you probably will see. You, we've all experienced this. You, you, you say, I don't want to go to that party. It's going to be a drag. And you go to it, and it's a drag because you're there. And it's and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and so You can see, I knew that thing was going to be a drag. You, your, your perceptions, your perceptions are shaped by your preconceptions. Uh, just to give you a simple example, if I put on the screen these letters in this order, Some of you might immediately say, oh, that phrase says God is nowhere. But someone else might look at the very same letters and say, no, that says God is now here. So our perceptions are shaped by our preconceptions. Uh, you, You probably heard the story about the guy that was... He was driving across the country. He wanted to see this great land of ours. And so he decides he's going to do a road trip, and he's going to completely pass the interstates. He's going to go right on the back roads, the country roads, to see the backbone, the spine of this great land. And and so he starts here on the east coast, makes his way across, uh, you know, Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, and then on it goes. And finally, it's about day four, he's in Kansas and, uh, and uh, the, the, the trip is starting to slow a little bit, his enthusiasm beginning to wane, plus it's very, very hot uh, as he travels, and so he decides that uh, he's going to begin traveling uh, at night. He's gonna start driving at night. I think also perhaps uh, thinking to himself that the Kansas landscape is better appreciated in darkness. And so uh, he decides, I'm just gonna travel some at night. Well, he was driving across there, and uh, and he's about uh, you know about 100 miles past Topeka, and he's starting to get sleepy. It's early in the morning. It's about five o'clock, kind of the witching hour, and he's just fighting the the eyelids. Uh, you know, not not like what's happening unlike what's happening right in this room, and and uh, and he he's uh, just about gone. He said, "I got to find a place to get a cup of coffee, get a bite to eat." So he sees this one little town, no stoplights, but it appears to have what looks like kind of Kind of looks like it might be a diner combination hardware store, and 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 so he says, "Look, I'm desperate. I'm going in there. I'm going to get a cup of coffee and a pair of pliers." And so and so uh, and so, sure enough, he goes in there, and uh, but as soon as he walks in, he sees a sign, and the sign almost convinces him just do a 180 and go right back out the door because the sign said, "Listen to this." The sign says, "Breakfast special." Chicken tongues, chicken tongues, and uh, and he's going, oh, chicken tongues! You know, I mean, that just sounds disgusting, you know. And and uh, that, that, oh my gosh! And so he almost leaves, but just as he turns around, you know, who's standing there? But this very, very cheerful woman in a uniform who hands him a menu says, "You can sit right over there." So he sits down and he opens up the menu, hoping to find something. But there it is in big, bold font right there in the middle panel. Breakfast special, chicken tongs. Chicken tongs. And he's trying to imagine, like, what? Well, what would that even look like on the plate? You know, like, do they do they give you more than one? Because it, it, it doesn't sound very filling. And and uh, you know, do, do they garnish it? Maybe a little uh, piece of uh, relish or a slice of orange, and uh, and uh, chicken tongues and whoever. But then all of a sudden he is interrupted in his thoughts because who appears again but this waitress, and she looks down on him uh, with a with a with a nice uh, smile and says, "Sir, have you decided what you'd like?" and And he he just says, "Okay, ma'am, I'm gonna tell you something. I'm hungry, and I've been driving all night, and I'm sleepy. Uh, What do you have that's really good?" And of course, immediately her face brightens, big, huge, broad grin on her face. She said, "Well, you must try our chicken tongues. You got to try our chicken tongues." And he goes, "Ma'am, look, I don't want to be rude." But I don't think I could eat something that comes out of a chicken's mouth. He said, just give me some eggs. It's interesting, isn't it, you know, how our perceptions, our perceptions are shaped by our preconceptions. And that's why the psalmist works so hard to make sure we understand something about this God we know. Because because if you think right about God, that's going to help us think right about everything else. Look back at the text, verse 7. The psalmist says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There are two portraits of God in this one verse. Uh, the first is in that Initial phrase, the Lord Almighty is with us. This is actually in the Hebrew translated, the Lord of mighty strength or vast armies. It's an image of God in all of his power and all of his might. This is the psalmist reminding us that the God we know is a mighty God, a powerful God. it's It's an image we need because there might even be some of us here this morning, and there surely are many in Puerto Rico and Mexico and Florida and Texas and around the world who are beginning to wonder this morning about this God. You know, we, we look at our problems, we look at the splinters of our home or maybe the splinters of our dream or an earthquake that happened in our family and we go, is God really the God of the universe? And this God that seems so big when we sing about him here in worship shrinks down to the size of a little elf. The psalmist says, no, you need to think right about this God because Your perceptions are going to be changed by your preconceptions. You need to understand this is the Lord God Almighty. This is the Lord God Almighty, and he is with us. What that means, men and women, is if if you're here this morning and and you're struggling with those doubts, and you've got those question marks, and they seem to loom over you larger than your hope and trust in God, God, think right about God. Think right about God. The Lord Almighty is with us, is with us. But then there's a second image, isn't there? Second phrase, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. To understand the, 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 the point of this particular portrait of God, we have to know something about Jacob. Of course, is one of the key figures in the Old Testament. Uh, a massive amount of the book of Genesis is so devoted to his story. And it reminds us that the Old Testament still speaks to us in these these kinds of verses. We hear God's voice. Because, you see, Jacob, uh, his name means supplanter. It means conniver. It means schemer. He was the guy who figured, you know what? I get it. There's a lot of shaking, and there's a lot of quaking, and there's a lot of question marks, but I am the schemer, and I can fix this. I'm the fixer. I've got, my, I've got my act together. I'll kind of do this. I'm more savvy than the average person. And I'll kind of protect myself and build my own little fortress. The psalmist says, no, no. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And you might remember that, that Jacob carried that conceit, carried that arrogance, carried that false hope all the way through his life until one morning he found himself one night at this, at this little brook, at this little creek. And all night long he wrestled for a blessing because that's how he thought it came. I get it, I connive, I scheme. I'll come up with this stuff. And he wrestles with the angel of God for a blessing. But he came in second. Second. And he walked away the next morning with a bum hip, but a new name and a covenant with the Almighty God. And he began to realize that my fortress is not me. My fortress is not my strength. My fortress is not my plan. My fortress is the living God. And some of us here this morning, some of us here this morning, we, we are troubled in the face of our question marks because we have a God too small. But there's some of us here this morning who, frankly, in the face of our question marks, have a sense of self that is too big. We think we can tie this stuff down. We think, well, i got my portfolio. Oh, you know what? I've got my skills. Or I'm pretty good in sports. Or I'm really good in school. Or I've got this. Or I've got that. At the end of the day, the psalmist says, banish that false hope. Because the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob is Our fortress. I don't know I don't know this morning what sort of stories you're hearing in your life. I don't know what sort of pictures that that you're looking at. When you look at your family, when you look in your when you look in your checkbook, when you walk into work tomorrow morning, when you're walking down the to school tomorrow morning, I don't, uh, the hallway, I don't know what kind of stories you're going to hear. I don't know what kind of pictures we're going to see tonight on the news. I don't know what the story's going to be from Pyongyang. I don't know what the story's going to be from London or from New York or, or, or from San Juan. But here's the story this morning, men and women, that we must cling to is that our God is in control. That our God is in control. That the Lord God Almighty is with us. And the God of Jacob is our fortress. I want us to to finish this morning by uh, reading through this psalm again. Before I read it through, I want you to notice one thing. There's a little word there at the very end of verse 7. If you could put it up on the screen, you'll see it's the word selah. Selah, S-E-L-A-H. Uh, it's a Hebrew word. Um, it's probably a word that offers instructions to the worship leader or to the choir or to the congregation as they use this psalm in worship. You know, that's how the psalms were used. They're, they're in a sense an old dog-eared Hebrew songbook. And uh, this is what they use for worship. And uh, and 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 so a lot of times you read through the psalms and you'll see various instructions to the choir director the worship leader. In this case, we see the word salab. What does it mean? Well, There's some discussion about its precise meaning. But generally, Bible scholars agree the word selah means think about this. Stop. Selah. Stop. Think about this. Consider this. If if you were 16 years old, it would be like, shut up. You know, or or, or just, just, dude. It's basically stopping to pause and say, look, I know what you think you see. But Selah, there is a bigger picture. There is a bigger story. And this morning, as we read through this text one more time, I want to invite you to look, to listen, to Selah, and consider the bigness and the grandeur of this God. Because this is what we know He is in control. We're going to read this psalm the way it would have been read in ancient Israel. Uh, It it probably would have been read as a choral reading. The phrase that you see uh, on the screen, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. That was the refrain. And I want us to use that as your part of this choral reading, and then I will read the other parts of the psalm as it was done in ancient Israel as sort of the prompt. So let's just try that one phrase, put it up on the screen again, that one phrase. Uh, we will say this all of us together uh, when we get to that point in the psalm. So let's just try it one time for rehearsal, everybody. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Okay, now that's good. But I want to hear a little more enthusiasm. Okay, you sound like you're reading uh, a label on a coffee jar. Uh, you know, I, I want to, I want some heart here. This time when we do it, we're going to read it through three times, and every time we get to this chorus, I want you to say this phrase a little bit louder. So that by the third time we get to this refrain, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is there for I want us to rock this place. I want, I want people who are driving by to go, holy cow, what are those crazy people doing in there? So, so uh, let, let's build it up each time. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease. To the ends of the earth he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields of the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I know this week you are going to see pictures that tell a different story. You're going to see them in your school. You're going to see them in your office. You're going to see them in your family. But I want to remind you what the psalmist tells us in chapter 46, verse 10. Sometimes the most important part of the picture is the part you don't see. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Because all of us, Lord, we're, we're not deaf. We're not blind. We see the images. We hear the stories that come to us from Washington and, and, and Tehran and, 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 and capitals around the world and, and, and hurting people in other parts of this country. We hear those stories. We see those pictures. Would you help us to recognize, Lord, that your power has not diminished? that your governance is real, that you are in control. The city of God will not fall, that you are with us. We pray also for our brothers and sisters who are worshiping today, some of them amidst rubble, and not just the rubble of their churches, but the rubble of their homes, and probably the rubble of their dreams, and what feels like the rubble of their lives. But thank you, God, that in the midst of the shaking and the quaking and the storms and the surging, that the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Lord, let's leave here today. Let us leave here today with that great good news in our hearts, in our heads, in our minds, in our hope, in our lives, so that we can live with confidence and power and peace. No matter what we see, we can be confident. Sometimes all that other stuff is just... It's just an illusion. And the most important part of the story is the part we don't see. Thank you, Lord, for this good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me be with you.
0: What do you say? Not only heard from Duffy Robbins, you heard from the Lord this morning. And we want to walk in that. We can pray for you in any way. If you're going through those deep waters or uncertain times, we're here for you. We want to pray for you and uphold you. We'd love for you to go out quickly, grab a bite to eat somewhere, come on back here in an hour, and I guarantee you, after what you've heard this morning, you will not want to miss this afternoon. God bless us with your amazing grace. Continue to walk with us as we follow you. May we hear your voice and see your face everywhere we go, and may you continue to walk with us as we journey with you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Love to have you back.